Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. Victor Frankl was a Jewish Holocaust survivor. He was placed in different concentration camps during World War II. And when he got out, he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. But he said something very interesting. He said that you could not use age, health, education, or ability to predict who would survive the atrocities of of these concentration camps. He said none of those were predictors. He said there was one predictor. The one predictor were those who believed that tomorrow would be better, that there would come a better day. What Viktor Frankl is talking about, that belief that someday will be better, that there will be a better day, is what we call hope or what the Bible calls hope. It's much more than a wish. We use the terms sometimes say, well, hey, what do you think is going to happen? You go, I don't know. I'm hoping and praying. Oftentimes that we've used that to mean a wish. But Bible hope is a confident, favorable expectation. And Viktor Frankl said those who had a, a favorable expectation that somehow they were going to come through this, that somehow there would be a better day, they were the ones that survived. We're not in concentration camps, but we still have to deal with life. And the fact is we still need hope. It's vital for our relationships. As I was thinking about so many marriages that I know over the years, I, I'm thinking what happens is people run out of hope sometimes before they run out of love. They run out of a belief that things can be better and it takes its toll. We need hope in our relationships. We need hope for our future. We have to to believe that there is still a better day, that a better day will come. We see that in our young people. They're excited. They're looking forward to the future. And maybe life hasn't had, had its effects yet or maybe hasn't taken the toll yet. And so we see our young people and they're excited and they're looking forward to the future. But as you get older, you have to still keep that level of excitement and believe that, th- that tomorrow will be a better day. Some people make you wonder about hope, though. They make you wonder if there's any hope for them. Three good old boys from my home state, North Carolina, decided they were all brothers. They decided they were all going to go to detective school and become a real live detective. And so they were sitting there with a senior detective. He'd given them a few weeks of instruction. Now he gave them a test. He holds the mugshot up in front of the first brother and he holds it up for five seconds. He puts it on the table, covers it. He said, how would you recognize that suspect? And the first brother, he speaks, he's a little boy. He speaks, he said, shoot, that's easy. He only got one eye. And the, the instructor said, that's because I showed you a side view of his mugshot. That's... <laughs> He called the next brother in, showed him the same mugshot. And he said, how would you recognize this suspect? And the brother, he said, he said oh, he'd be easy to catch. He's only got one ear. He said, we are showing you the side shot. He said, get out of here. Here's the third brother came in. He showed him the same mugshot, five seconds, put it on the table. He said, how would you recognize that suspect? He said, and think real hard about this. Don't give me a stupid answer. And the brother thought for a little bit. And he said, the suspect is wearing contact lenses. And the detective went, what? He said, let me check the file. He reached over and grabbed the suspect's file, looked through it. He went, oh my gosh, you're right. It's true. He is wearing contact lenses. He said, good work. He said, how did you make such an astute observation? Well, brother said, well, he said, uh, he can't wear regular glasses if he's only got one eye and one ear. (laughs) 
there are some people that you just don't have a lot of hope for. All kidding aside, our God is a God who, who personifies hope. He is hope. In fact, in Romans, Paul was writing to the church at Rome and he said, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would overflow. In other words, that there would be an abundance. He's the God of, he's the God of hope. Hey, if you really think about it, Nobody does it better than God. God will give you hope for today and he'll give you not just hope for today. He'll give you hope for tomorrow. He'll give you hope for eternity. He'll give you hope for the next 20,000 years. He is a God of hope and he, man, he majors in hope, a confident, favorable expectation. He is that God and he wants his people to have hope and have a lot of it. And you say, well, how would I know if I, if I have a lot of hope, there will be semblances of joy and peace. If there's hope, there's going to be some joy and peace. You know how it is before you get ready to go on vacation. Man, you're just, you're, you can deal with a lot of stuff before you go on vacation because you are going on vacation in a week. You're going to be out of here. And so you don't care what comes your way. You're handling it. There's some joy in you and there's some peace because you know in just a few days, you're going to be at the beach or the mountains or wherever you go. And so there's some joy and peace because you've got a confident, favorable expectation that something good is coming your way. When there's hope in God, there's a joy and a peace that maybe you can't explain to everybody else, but it is very much real and it's very much in us. World War II, when the Allies were bombing Germany and they bombed Germany and they left a lot of, of orphans in the streets. A lot of these were children whose parents were killed in the war or killed during the bombing. And these children were running the streets. They, many of them were starving. And so when the allies came in, they set up refugee camps and they began to take these children and put them in the camps and they would feed them and give them clothes and give them a nice clean bed to sleep in. And even though the level of care went way up, they found that these children were not sleeping at night. Either they couldn't go to sleep or they were waking up screaming with night terrors and they couldn't figure it out. And finally, some psychologists who would talk with the children came, came up with an idea. And before every child went to bed, they put a piece of bread in their hand. And what they found out was these kids had, had, would wake up every day wondering if they were going to eat or if they were going to starve to death. They were having to fight and scrap just to survive. But when they put that piece of bread in their hand, they had hope. They ate today. They were going to eat tomorrow. And the sleeplessness... And the, and the night terrors went away. They were able to rest. You know, the God who created us, the God who made us knows that we need that bread in our hand. The, maybe not a literal piece of bread in our hand, but he knows that we need to hold on to something so that when we lay our heads down, we believe that tomorrow can be a better day. We believe that the next day can be a better day. And we've got a hope in God because we've got a God of hope. And because of our relationship and connection with him, we have the ability to go, I'm going to make this. It's going to be all right. In the Bible, there's a great story of a contrast of hope, of, of someone who had hope in God and someone who had no hope. And the story is found in, in the book of Acts, and it's the story of Paul and Silas. They really were the first missionaries. I mean, these guys were going and spreading the message of, of Jesus and the salvation that's him. They were spreading that before anybody else would. And they would go into areas where no one, there were no churches. And they would go in and begin to share that message. And they went to a city called Philippi, a big major city. And as they were, as they were just spreading the gospel and, and telling people about the good news, 
there was a, a, a girl there. She was a slave who was demon possessed and she would follow them screaming that these men are servants of the most high God. She was a fortune teller. <coughs> Finally, uh, the, the Lord just moved on Paul and she got delivered. And, and when she got delivered of that demonic force, then obviously her, her owners went, uh-oh, the revenue stream just dried up. She's not going to be able to tell fortunes anymore. And they attacked Paul and Silas and things got really bad for them. Let's read their story. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Dark situation. Paul and Silas were there. They were just preaching the gospel, trying to help people. And uh, all of a sudden they find themselves arrested and they stripped the clothes off of them, which is embarrassing enough. But then they beat them with rods. A number of years ago, well, about 1994, some of you remember, I know some of you were thinking, I wasn't born yet. Okay, great. But uh, <laughs> 1994, uh, you remember when that young American man was caught in Singapore vandalizing some, some vehicles? And they were going to, uh, in Singapore, they don't play. In fact, you can't chew gum in Singapore. You'll get arrested. They don't want gum underneath the seats. <laughs> These are serious people. And so they were going to beat him. They were going to cane him. And he was going to get six, six whacks with the cane. And President Clinton actually got involved, trying to intervene on his behalf and brought his sentence down. He only got four. And, uh, but man, there was just a huge uproar. You know, four to me is not many. That's not severe. I'm sure it was severe for him, but it's not severe. It says they stripped Paul and Silas and they, in fact, one translation says they put many stripes on them. They're beating them with these long bamboo canes and men, they soak them in water so they don't splinter. Amnesty International calls it a cruel and inhumane torture. And these guys get beaten and you're beaten hard and then you get put in jail and not just in jail, you get put in the inner jail, the darkest, nastiest place and they put your feet in stock so you can't even move around. Can you imagine the pain they're dealing with? Can you imagine how uncomfortable they are? I don't know about you, but a lot of times if I get real uncomfortable, if I'm in pain, I'm not in a great mood. I'm not real happy. I didn't take my pain meds one time. They took out two of my wisdom teeth, and I did not take my pain meds in time. When I got home, I'm, I'm about ready to bite somebody's head off. And, and Joy walked in the room and said something to me, and I snapped off something at her. She just turned around and walked out. And would not come back. She's like, you, you better learn to be nice. And so, but I, 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 how about you? When you're uncomfortable and you're, and you're hurting, are you in a good mood? Most of us aren't. And so most of us at a time like that, this was a dark situation. It's not like their attorneys were going to come and find them. 
It's not like anybody knew they were there. But at midnight, they're praying. It didn't say they're praying and crying. They didn't pray and going, God, we're, we're supposed to be preaching the gospel. I don't know why we're here. We're all beat up and we're hurt. No, they're praying and singing hymns to God. They're praying and worshiping God. They responded in hope, believing that, God, you're going to get us out of this situation. God, we're not living. We're not going to die here in this prison. You're our God. You're going to help us. They had a trust in God. They had a hope in God. And they're praying and, and they're not doing it quietly. The other prisoners are listening to them. And God responded. He sent such an earthquake that the, the foundations of the prison were shaken and all the doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Now that's, a, that's an earthquake from God. Nobody died. Everyone got free. When God does, people say, oh, it was an act of God. Let me, let me tell you something. Acts of God are not killing innocent people. Acts of God are freeing innocent people and guilty people. And that was an act of God. And so everyone, everyone is free. This is good. Now, the jailer, the Philippian jailer, he wakes up and he believes he's got a bad situation too. He thinks everyone has escaped. And back then in those days, if you were the jailer, you guarded, you guarded prisoners with your life. If you, if you lost prisoners, oftentimes you wouldn't just get a pink slip. They would take your life. And he looks up and he thinks mistakenly that everybody's gone. They weren't, but he believed they were. It's dark. And instead of responding in hope, he responds in despair. And he pulls out his sword. He's about to kill himself. And God intervened. See, Paul couldn't see him and he couldn't see Paul. He was in the darkest part of the prison. And yet Paul, by the Holy Spirit, shouts out, do yourself no harm. We're all here. And God intervened and stopped a man from killing himself. God's plan is that you never kill yourself. He never wants you doing yourself harm. The jailer came in and he, he, he came in and called for a light. Why did he call for a light? Because he couldn't see. And he comes in and there's Paul and Silas and he brings them out, washes the stripes on their back. He gives them food. He asks what he could do to be saved. He said, what do I need to do to be saved? I love Paul's answer. Paul didn't say, well, you need to join our church or you need to get baptized like we get baptized in or you need to clean your life up. He said, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved in your whole household. Aren't you glad God put it on a basis of believing? And he said, you just believe. And that jailer believed the whole household got saved. And the next day, Paul and Silas got free. Yea, God, God always wins in the end. And it turned out really well for, for everybody. But you, you can see the contrast. The jailer was in a dark situation. He responded in despair. Paul and Silas were in a dark situation, but they responded with God. And when there's hope, the light is always on. It's never completely dark. It might be dim, but there's a light and you can see it. And God moved and God helps and he still does. How do we grow in hope? You know, you're thinking, well, I got all the hope I need. No, no, no. I, I, how many people do you know right now that you could say, oh, I know so-and-so. They're just overflowing with positive, favorable expectation. It's not a lot, which means we can all grow in this. So how can we grow on this? Here's just some practical ideas that you can do. Here's the first one. Don't make big decisions in the dark. Don't make big decisions in the dark. That jailer was going to kill himself because he believed something that was actually a lie. He believed something that wasn't even true. And so he's, he's going to kill himself. And you know, darkness distorts things. 
Things always look worse when things are dark. They always look worse in your life. A number of years ago, Joy and I decided to just remodel the whole house. We'd waited 19 years. Linoleum never came back in. So we decided, okay, we're going we're gonna to remodel the whole house. So we, as we did that, when we moved back in the house, all the furniture went back. And so we started adding pieces, piecemeals that came in. Well, one night I get up in the middle of the night and I'm, I'm heading for the bathroom. I'm not trying to be crude, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. And so I'm, I'm heading there and all of a sudden I'm looking at the silhouette of a man standing in my room. Now I had some very unpastoral thoughts right there. I'm thinking, I don't even have my gun. Who carries a gun to the bathroom anyway, seriously? But I'm thinking, oh my gosh, there's a man standing there. I mean, it, it startled me. I, I froze. And then I realized that Joy had, had put a mirror, a decorative mirror up <laughs> in our bedroom, right in my line of sight. The scary man was me. I'm looking at me in, in the mirror. Man, I am so glad I didn't shoot anybody. I mean, I was just, but I, I'm standing there. But, but the problem is everything gets distorted in the dark. Everything, when things are dark, I dealt, my whole family dealt with depression growing up. They used to call it bad moods. Now we call it depression. It was depression. And, and somebody was always depressed in my home, or always down in my home, always down. And, and one thing about it is it, 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 it can distort things. And so you don't, when you're down and things are dark, you don't want to make big decisions. That's not the time you, you bail out of a marriage. That's not the time you bail out of a job. That's not the time you, you bail out of church. That's not the time you, you go away from God. When things are dark, you say, well, what, what do I do? Let me, I, I'm, I'm not trying to mean be trite here, but time and Oreos can solve a lot of problems. You say, what? Time and Oreos. Oh, yeah. Just give it some time. Have a, have a, eat the whole package of Oreos. Regular, not double stuffed and not thin, not them thin skinny Oreos. I'm talking about the real Oreos. And you'll be amazed at how life looks better. You say, have you got a scripture for that? Actually, I do. Not Oreos, but I got a scripture for time. Look at this. His anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. How many of you know sometimes all you need is a good night's sleep? People say, well, I just want to end it all. Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Give it a good night's sleep. Give it a bowl of ice cream. You'll be amazed at how things can turn out better with a little bit of time. I had, a, I had a sales manager that I worked for one time, and he told me, he, he took a phone call from a sales rep, and he, he hung up. He was training me. He said, Alan, he said, you're going to have some bad weeks in sales, some bad days, maybe a bad month. He said, don't call me and quit. He said, take a long weekend, go to the beach, put your toes in the sand. You'll be amazed at how your perspective changes. Don't make big decisions in the dark. Come into the light. Say, well, how can I do that? Well, here's, here's something that will help. Learn to, to pray and to worship God in the light. So what do you mean? Well, when things aren't traumatic, all of us have got stuff going on, but we know that sometimes there's just minor stuff and sometimes big stuff. It's good to learn how to pray and, and, and thank God when you're in minor stuff. And what you develop is like, it's like developing spiritual muscle memory. Is, you know what I mean by muscle memory? You can teach yourself to do something. I, I grew up playing basketball and uh, man, I spent hours, hours playing basketball, shooting in my backyard. My mom says she can just, she could still hear the sound of the ball bouncing because I just, hours. And uh, 
last year I was out there on the, on the back with, in our youth area. We've got some basketball goals. And man, I was, I was shooting some jump shots. And man, the form was there. There's not as much jump in the jump shots as there used to be. But, but the form was still there. It's, it's muscle memory. Listen, if you can learn to begin to praise God when things aren't bad, then when things do hit bad, you've already begun to develop that. It's not, it's not new. It's a flow you've already gotten into. It's a, we're having to retrain ourselves to respond differently. Paul and Silas had been used to praising and, pray, and praying and praising God for a long time. So even when they're in a bad situation, they're still able to do that. Look at this verse here in Hebrews. Paul, the writer says, therefore by him, by Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Leave that up there. Check that out there. Continually, all the time. Offer the sacrifice of praise to God, giving thanks to his name. A sacrifice of praise. You say, why is it a sacrifice? Because it's going to cost you something. So it's going to cost me money? No. It's going to cost you some feelings. It's going to cost you maybe being a little uncomfortable. Cost you doing something that you're not accustomed to doing. It's a sacrifice. It takes something to do it. During the freeze last year, 2021, when the big freeze hit, I was, I was in, my, in my bedroom. I was reading. Had Boudreaux was right with me. Joy was much warmer where the fireplace was. But anyway, I was, I was there in the bedroom and I heard a, large, a sound. It went, boom. And the dog, the dog went, and barked. And I went, what is that? And then I watched the sheetrock balloon out like a water balloon. And then it broke and water started pouring into the bedroom. Joy heard it. She comes running in there. And I looked out, I said, we got, we got a burst pipe. And I, I looked over her, I said, I had just preached a message on rejoicing. I looked at her, I said, we need to rejoice. She looked at me, she said, you go first. <laughs> I got it, I understand. It's a, it's a sacrifice of praise. But if you can begin to develop that, if you can begin to do it, I don't say do it when all your friends and neighbors are watching. I'm saying do it in your private times, as you're driving, as you have your alone times. And just begin to, begin to pray and to give God praise. He's worthy of all the praise we can give him. He's worthy of all of it. And as you begin to do that, man, now you're, you're responding in hope and strength. And then the last one is this, feed yourself hope. Feed the hope in your life. Thinking and talking about the darkness will not make it better. It makes it darker. I, I, I've known this. I've, I've, like I said, I battled for years with depression. And uh, I, I am so grateful, but I don't, I, don't, I don't deal with it near. But years ago, oh my gosh. And I can understand that when things are dark and you talk darkness and you talk the problem and you talk these things, it's not making the light come on. It's not making things lighter. It actually makes it worse. So, well, what do I do? Begin to feed yourself an infusion of hope. God's word gives hope. In Romans again, Paul writes, he said, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. What we just, that story we just read is teaching us. So that we through endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. God's word will put hope in your life. It will encourage you. It will strengthen you. It will put something 
in you that's stronger than the darkness that tries to come around you. You know, we're doing that suicide. We've done that suicide, overcoming suicide seminar today. We, we wanted to open that up. And a lot of times people will look and, and go, well, you know, pastor, you really don't understand that. But actually I do. A number of years ago, my, my daughter, Christina, I only have one daughter, Christina, and she was involved in a relationship that was abusive. And when it ended, it left her devastated. And she was in, she was in a bad state. She was in, man, the darkness seemed to envelop her and she seemed to be hopeless. And I'm grateful we had some good counselors and they, they helped her and they talked to her. But it just, just kept going and she just seemed to stay in this state of hopelessness. And she told us that she was dealing with suicidal thoughts. Now, as a parent, I can tell you that's not a good feeling. And, you know, as, as a pastor, I, maybe I never thought this would happen to us. But now we're dealing with that in our own family. And she's talking about this. Her counselor said something to her one day, and I think it kind of made her mad, but it helped her. Because the counselor said, looked to her and said, Christina, do you even want to get better? And Christina said that stung her when she heard it. But then she realized that she was going to have to do something and be responsible for moving on the next step. She didn't want to stay in that place. And Christina said this, without any prompting from us, not any pushing on our part, she said, I began to open my Bible and read it. She said, I just, I wasn't reading it as a duty. I wasn't reading. She said, I read it looking for help. And she said, and reading my Bible, she said, the light began to come on. The entrance of God's word gives light. We're dealing with so much darkness, we need an infusion of light. And she began to read that, her Bible again. She said, she said, no longer did I feel like, she said, by talking about the problem over and over, she said, I was giving life to the darkness. She said, but by putting God's word in me, she said, I began to, to realize here's where the life is. The entrance of his words brings life. In fact, the psalmist said this. He said, remember your word to your servant upon which you cause me to hope. God's word brings hope into us. It brings hope. So what happened to Christina? She's doing good. She's happily married. She's got two beautiful boys. She's strong. She's overcome. And so can you. Where you are is not where you have to be. He's a God of hope and he can still work hope in your life. This, this week, we, we lost probably one of the classiest world leaders we've had in a long time, Queen Elizabeth. She was a class act. And people have asked, what about her faith and what about this? I, I want to read something that as we close, I want to read something that she said um, in 2020, right about the time that the pandemic was really starting to take hold these are Queen Elizabeth's words and she was talking about Easter. She said, Easter isn't canceled. Thank God for that. She said, indeed, we need Easter as much as ever. The discovery of the risen Christ on the first Easter day gave his followers new hope and fresh purpose. And we can all take heart from this. As dark as death can be, particularly for those suffering with grief, light and life are greater. May the living flame of the Easter hope be a steady guide as we face the future. Those are good words from a queen. Those are good words from anybody. You see, when Jesus was raised from the dead, he brought a new hope, a living hope. Him being raised from the dead means this. It means there is no hopeless situation, not with him. 
If you're out there today, maybe you're listening to me or you're watching and you're thinking, Alan, my situation is hopeless. Not with God, it's not. And I, I, want, to, I want to give you the words that, that Paul gave. Do yourself no harm. Don't harm yourself. Don't, don't make a decision like that based on a lie. You do count. You are loved. There is a purpose and there's hope. Would you bow your head with me for a moment? Please no one leaving or moving will be out of here in just a second. If you came today and you said, you know, or maybe you're watching online and you said, Alan, I, I don't, don't have a relationship with the Lord or I'm not sure if I do. Or maybe you used to at one time and you recognize I, I, I need him in my life. I, I've, I've been disconnected, but I want to reconnect. We're going to say a prayer. We're not going to have you stand up or not going to have you come to the front. But sitting right there in your chair, right where you are, watching online, right where you are, you can pray this prayer with us. And this is a prayer that changes everything. It changes the whole basis of your hope. That it's no longer just a natural thing, that your hope is in the living God, the living God. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If that is you and you're here, then I'm talking to you, that's you. And you say, Alan, I, 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 want, I want the Lord in my life or I want to come back to him. Would you pray for me? Real quickly, slip your hand up just real quick. Across this auditorium. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you for your courage. Anybody else? Great. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. Maybe you didn't lift your hand. You wanted to. That's okay. You can pray this prayer with us. If you're watching online, you're by yourself. Pray it out loud. We're going to pray it with you. As a church family, if you're up with other people, pray it quietly. But pray this. This is such a prayer of hope. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. <coughs> Heads are still bowed and eyes are closed. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for those, for the salvation that we have in Christ, that we just have to believe in him and, and salvation belongs to us. Thank you for those who have come to you and for those who have come back. We rejoice with them. What a good thing. And Father, for the, for the rest of us, maybe those of us who know you or those who are feeling like You've forgotten them or those who are feeling like there is no hope. Father, thank you that you are always and always will be the God of hope in their life. And I thank you, Father, that you love and care and have a plan for every one of us. And that's a good thing. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearcchurch.com. Have a great week.